Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. All right, this is good stuff. Yeah, it's the Laugh Podcast. Over there is Mr. Uh, Two Frames. Howdy. I'm the L Train, and we're your hosts of the show. You believe in ghosts? No, not at all. Have I asked you this before? Yeah. I'm not sure if I've ever had to answer on the show, though. But no, I do not believe in ghosts. Do you believe in energy? (laughs) Energy? Yeah. The energy of negative and positive emotions. Yeah, sure. Can you believe that 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 could be left over somewhere? No. No? No. I don't believe in ghosts. Not ghosts. I didn't say ghosts. I said positive or negative energy. If there's an argument in a room and the two people leave... Could someone else walk into the room and feel the energy? No, I don't buy that. No? No. Could they walk into the room while the uh, while the argument was going on? And feel and your feel negative the energy? Yeah, yeah. But there are actually people there. No, I don't believe in any paranormal stuff. Do you believe in ghosts? Do I believe in ghosts? Hmm. I'm thoroughly agnostic on ghosts. Are you afraid of no ghosts? No, I'm not afraid of ghosts. I'm not afraid of ghosts at all. I'm not afraid that there's something out there that could intimidate me that I can't touch or or maybe i guess you can see ghosts people claim to be able to see ghosts but uh no i mean I don't, i'm agnostic about it i don't know right, um nice. i believe in the oversoul and the interconnectedness of our all right i can tell you this there was an energy going on at graceland when i went to graceland and i i kind of felt that just in terms of a vibe <laughs> course this is when i was uh 20 years old or whatever 21 years old wow not only is it a ghost story it's a celebrity story yeah so and he died at graceland you know yeah so in the bathroom it could have been the ghost of elvis presley following me around so anyway i wasn't scared likewise i wasn't scared in crimson peak the gothic romance tale directed by guillermo del toro Ghosts are real. That much I know. I've seen them all my life. What you been doing? Edith, this is my sister. She's the right choice. You have to trust me. Thomas, your bride is frozen. I run your hot bath. <gasps> there are parts of the house that are unsafe. What was that? The house is old as this one becomes in time a living thing never go below this level okay all right well let's get into this then do you have a title for this i know you like to have alternate titles for films uh like instead of crimson, crimson flat no okay C- crimson week that's what <laughs> i would call it no i i'm not gonna I, i'm not gonna destroy the film i'm gonna tell you what it's about this is from the imdb uh, page and this was downloaded today. It's got an 8.6 rating on IMDb. That's pretty high. That's pretty high for movies. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. 
considering how poorly it's done in terms of box office. But this is uh, the IMDb um, synopsis of the plot. After marrying the charming and seductive Sir Thomas Sharp, young Edith, played by Mia Wachisowska, finds herself swept away to his remote gothic mansion in the English hills. Also living there is Lady Lucille. Thomas's alluring sister and protector of her family's dark secrets. Unable to communicate, or she is able to communicate with the dead. Edith tries to decipher the mystery behind the ghostly visions that haunt her new home. As she comes closer to the truth, Edith may learn that true monsters are made of flesh and blood. I don't know. Directed by Guillermo del Toro of Pan's Labyrinth and Pacific Rim. Hellboy movies. I think he was behind the orphanage. Is that right? Uh, he was a producer. On producer that. on uh, Mama, mm-hmm. and anything TV else? TV show The Strain. He wrote. Oh, the and Strain. Directed the first episode. This was a screenplay by Guillermo del Toro, Matthew Robbins, and Lucinda Coxton. Tom Hiddleston is uh, Sir Thomas Sharp, and Jessica Chastain stars as Lady Lucille, along with Mia Wasikowska. Also, I think we should mention Charlie Hunnam plays uh, Alan McMichael, Dr. Alan McMichael, the optometrist, because he can see things that other people can't see, you see. All right, so before I so condescendingly make my remarks, perhaps you'd like to defend the film Crimson Peak. I understand you had a pretty good uh, experience. I enjoyed the the film. All right. Um, I'm not much for ghost films, but I enjoyed it. Uh, If anything, I think this film has been mismarketed. It's not a horror film. If anything, it's set in a gothic setting. And it's a romantic horror film, I think would be the best way to describe it. With more of an emphasis on romance. It's not a straight horror film. Okay. I think Guillermo del Toro also said the same thing. It's like saying an action comedy, I wouldn't think of first as a comedy. I'd first think of it as an action film that has comedic elements in it. Like 48 Hours isn't a straight comedy. I'd put it as an action film first. What about 21 Drum Street? (sighs) Oof. I think of that more as a comedy. I think that's a comedy action, not an action comedy. But, I mean, okay, we're splitting hairs. Okay, go on. Yeah, Crimson Peak, I I really enjoyed the lavishness of the set and the characters. I didn't mind the acting choices for most of the people. I think we'll get more into the one actress. I did have a problem with her acting. I like a lot of the little choices. This is an R-rated film that could have been PG-13, but I feel like the director had certain little touches that he fought for that makes this a moderate R-rated film. It's not over the top. It's not gratuitous. Uh, There are just lots of bits that I find (laughs) attention-grabbing. Okay. Uh, Like the, the choice of murder weapons... The, the choice of the deaths in for some of the characters are unusual. And I really have to give credit to Guillermo del Toro for that. He has a wonderful eye for little details. And he makes a world come alive. And that house that they're in, I think, is one of the best-looking set designs I've seen in years. Okay. It did feel like a real house. that like I, I felt like they built the whole thing. I didn't feel like I was just seeing... Um, fake walls you know yeah, all they around did. they did build it and then they and then they tore it down yeah i mean i feel like you could have gone and walked around a good 70 percent of that house i mean surely there were parts that yeah weren't f- fully fleshed out but i could see del toro going and drawing out the whole design of that house every single floor and having it make sense from an architectural standpoint okay so 
I really enjoyed the film. And you recommend people should go see it? No. I, really? I, I, how, I can think, you, how can you be that conflicting? No, I, the film is very slow. I will give it that. Uh, half of the audience I was with walked out of it about 40 minutes. And yeah, two people. It was a Loster audience. So that's pretty packed house for a Monday night. But it is slow. It takes a long time to get to the haunted house. Yeah. Um, I didn't mind. I liked some of the earlier stuff. I really liked Jim Beaver as Carter Cushing, who played the father. Yep. And I think we'll talk some more about that maybe in spoilers. I think there's a okay. great scene where we can talk about Guillermo del Toro's directorial choices. Okay. And how he plays with the audience's expectations. I. So what did you think of the film? My takeaway from the film is I, I have a hard time figuring out what rubric to assign to it in order to grade it. I, I was struggling the whole time with what kind of movie is this? And, and maybe part of that is because I don't really pay much attention to marketing. All I needed to know that it was Guillermo del Toro. And I mean, you know, Pacific Rim was one of my favorite movies of the last couple of years. So I was in and it had uh, an, inter- an interesting look to it uh, with the gothicism and all that. And I'm actually teaching Frankenstein right now. We teach at the end of the year, I teach Wuthering Heights. If I known if I had known it was Wuthering Heights, I probably would have not gone to see it. I'm not even really sure if it's great as Wuthering Heights or as a, as a gothic romance. In fact, I don't really know that many gothic romance movies. Like I, I wouldn't choose, if you if if you want me to give a list of my top fifteen genres, it's probably down there around fourteen. <laughs> so yeah, I, agree. I, I I can't imagine the very best one the very best gothic romance with a ghost story is probably worse than the worst western movie i've ever seen whatever that is nah. all right yeah that maybe that's a little bit too severe because there are some things to recommend this movie the cinematography is great the color palette is um is is thoughtful and well designed there were I don't know, some acting choices I had problems with, but I, I kind of like the actors that he chose, like you mentioned. I'm not really sure that they were all acting in the same movie. <laughs> and and then, again, it seems to me like they were having a problem figuring out where they were tonally. And if you had chosen... Uh, who's the surrogate for the mo- for the audience in this movie? It's, it's got to be Edith, right? Yeah. I mean, that's Mia her Wachowski story. character. If you had made the movie Lucille's movie, not necessarily... In terms of acting, but if it had been her story and they told her story, I think it could have been a better movie. Possibly, I, I don't think the story is that great or that unusual. I feel like this is a story that we've been told before, or at least elements of it. I do think it's well told, though. And, <sighs> and another film that this kind of reminds me of our argument, even though it's tonally a very different film, was Cinderella. Okay, because well, I mean, it, it's a story you feel like you know all the beats going into it. And my argument always for that was great costumes. I like the acting for right. the most part. And it's just one of those, can you enjoy a story wow. where you know where it's going? I think that's that's the big question you have to ask yourself with this film. If you have to constantly be surprised by a film, I would not recommend this. But strangely, they try to get that out of you. This movie, you, this movie is a contradiction of presentation and, and theme. I mean, th- it's... You, we had this argument earlier as to whether or not it's a mystery. Mm-hmm. But if it is a mystery, it's a mystery that only a, a four-year-old would be surprised at. To me, this movie is... Okay, 
I, I really don't. I want to be able to give it its due. Yeah. But, I mean, for a moment early on in the film, when we're still getting to meet the um, Mia Wachowski character, yeah. when she's going to get her manuscript read mm-hmm. she runs into the mother i guess of one of the daughters that she knows and knows socially and the mom i thought was kate blanchett from, <laughs> from cinderella. cinderella okay i mean and it seemed like her performance was exactly that she had these two daughters and they were ignored and i thought wouldn't this be awesome if both these movies were in the same world and this was the same character in both films Okay, I, I can see that. I mean, I, I kind of like the idea that there's could Cinderella be some had a little bit brighter color palette. A little bit, but I mean, early on, I'm like, huh, in fact, this is weird. The there were so few colors. I mean, that the colors were well organized and had symbolic meaning, but there weren't very many greens at all. No. It was basically red or yellow or blue, mm-hmm. and that was pretty much it. So you 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 had the primary colors and and than black and white against it, which I guess that's a that's a choice. He he, he you did it to the best of his ability. Del Toro did. Who's the cinematographer on this? I don't know. I didn't write it down. I did write down the costume designer. I didn't write down any. Kate Hawley is the costume designer, and I, she may have been the costume designer for uh, Cinderella. I think. I mean, she's got to be nominated for costume for this movie. I mean, whatever the Academy, oh, I can't imagine a better uh, sort of production mm-hmm. design surrounding these characters. No, I agree fully. I feel like she's someone who has worked with Guillermo del Toro a lot before. And I've heard other people talk about they love working for him as a boss because he articulates a very clear vision of what he wants, but then gives you freedom to go and create. All right, I'm going to give you my my argument about I mean, you're going to poo-poo it a little bit. All right. I get that Guillermo del Toro had a vision, and he communicated the vision. I make the same argument <laughs> about M. Night Shyamalan and The Lady in the Lake, or The Lady of the Water, or whatever that movie is that everybody hates. The Lady in the Pile of Poo? I liked that movie more than I liked this movie. I <gasps> I did. I couldn't wrap my mind around. I couldn't. I could not get into this movie. In terms of like audience, I saw it with my favorite audience. Yourself. Yeah. Just me. <laughs> At one point I was looking around like, <laughs> like trying to get askings from the people surrounding me. There was no one around me. There was a floating cup in the back though that, that kind of threw me off because I came in I came in late, like after the trailers. And there was a cup in one of the cup holders back there. So I thought there might have been a dude back there. But like I said, at one point I was like, <laughs> and I looked around just to see if this guy was having the same reaction that I was. There was no one there. Ghost. <laughs> That's right. So I would have liked to see this with a big audience because I, I think they'd been disappointed, man. I, I know, but I'd like to hear what how people's reactions were because there were two or three moments in the film I chuckled and I laughed. Yeah, and after one of them, I heard the couple behind me go like, "Like, what's that? Why, why is that guy laughing?" <laughs> and I couldn't tell. Am I the only person that would laugh at this line? Or if there was a larger audience, would there be more people in there? Was this the couple that left? That were left? No, no, no. Oh. No, this was later on in the film. And okay. if I give the line why, and explain why I left, it would ruin a bit about it. All right. We can talk about it in spoilers then. I yeah. want to put a pin in that and come back to it. This is what I want to say about it, though. Del Toro, like you, was pretty adamant about the fact that it's a, a ghost story and not a horror story. He says it's a ghost story. A romance with a gothic romance with a horror. I'm sorry, with a ghost in it. 
which is kind of how you can describe Wuthering Heights. I get that, but the ghosts that inhabit this world are are neither surprising nor intriguing, and they seem to have conflicting motivations. They don't seem to be like the actors in this movie. The ghosts don't seem to be operating under the same set of rules. Do they want to menace this girl, or do they want to warn her? And either way, they fail. And is it because... I mean, for me, they did. Mm -hmm. There was a scene early on where she encounters a ghost, and we can talk about who it is in spoilers. And I was thinking, why are you... What is is your purpose? And why would you appear to this character in this manner? Because if it is, it's not just one ghost. It's several ghosts that she encounters. And then I I couldn't come up with a justification for it. And then I started to apply my, uh, my daisy theory from... The, the Great Gatsby? Like, is she just kind of stupid? <laughs> and I mean, that doesn't fit because she's actually pretty smart. I mean, she's a, she's a, she is an intelligent person. She's not, she's not, uh, she hadn't been kicked in the head by a horse, but she makes some of the stupidest, dumbest, unmotivated decisions you could possibly imagine. You have to be willing to suspend your disbelief quite a bit. The ghost or Mia Wachowski? Mia Wachowski. Cause I was thinking maybe, maybe this is, I think you mentioned it could have been just her psychology and not necessarily ghosts. Yeah, no, I, I do think a lot of the film has a plausible explanation for what's going on. The ghosts don't have to exist. I agree with you that the ghosts in this film try and come off menacing at times, but they're also trying to be helpful so it doesn't work. This is my large problem with ghosts in general, that if you are coming back to resolve issues from your past you know, and to lay your spirit at rest and you can interact with physical world, why don't you just pick up a pen and write a message? Okay. And Mia Wachowski, the, the first ghost she met, or meets, and it's like two minutes into the film, is her mother, right? Oh, this is I was going to wait for spoilers. It's two minutes into the film. Okay. You don't want to... Yeah, I, 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 I forgot who I was talking the, to. Sorry. And the mother's ghost, though, frightens Mia. Right. Instead of acting like Casper, the friendly ghost. <laughs> right. I don't understand why any ghosts of your of your family members would ever try and frighten you. Instead, right. like the first thing I would hear instead of woo woo woo, you know, it, ghosts coming down the hallway is, "Hey, it's Bob." Yeah, it's Bob, your uncle. Hey, man, avoid <laughs> this thing. Yeah, you know, you, you it won't be for another twenty years, but once it gets there, you want to avoid it. Well, oh, okay. You, you wouldn't be all. Uh, vague. Uh, yeah, I was trying to avoid spoilers, but that, that that was something that bothered me real quick. If oh, ghosts can, if ghosts can see into the future, why did the ghost not know that the daughter was going to be all right? It was going to be what? All right. Oh, she couldn't see that far into the future. Yeah, like she can see twenty years, but she can't see twenty years in two wow, days. We are the spoiling the crap out of this movie. We're all over the place spoiling. <laughs> I, I don't know. If that's a huge spoiler. But all right, I, I don't think ghosts should be able to see into the future. Is my point. <laughs> well, they don't operate under the the same rules because she is menacing. That first thing she's mm-hmm. supposed to be menacing. She didn't, she didn't really frighten me any. I kind of run a little cool. It, it, it bothered me that she would appear to her in that guise. Later on in the movie, someone appears to her as a ghost, and this character looks remarkably similar to the person in their real life form. Yeah. So again, they're not operating in the same rule they're not playing in the same playground so the movie the first part it took me out of it and then later on when this occurrence happens again i kind of like it takes me out of it and i'm like golly i know i like gilda 
I like Del Toro movies. I can't think of one that I disliked, but this one doesn't even stand up as a good Del Toro movie. Okay. I enjoyed it. I, I the know. movie's made about $32 million so far worldwide after one weekend in wide release. Okay. It costs $55 million to make, which is a very odd number. Generally, now they're trying to do movies for under $25 million or they want to spend $100 million. You don't see the 40 to $60 million movie anymore. Right. Del Toro does this. He does this as an R-rated film, which, again, is kind of odd that they would be willing to spend this much money on an R-rated film because... A lot of times R-rated films don't do that well, and right. especially horror. They'd rather do them cheap. And this one's doing kind of well. I don't even know, does this help his career? Does this hurt his career? It will probably make a profit. It'll probably make a profit. And then... It, I, like, does this get him closer to making Pacific Rim 2 no. your dream film? No. It's not my dream <laughs> film. I think they, they might even ruin Pacific Rim 2. That uh, I think all it does is solidify him as an auteur. And he's able to communicate his vision and do things artistically and work with a group of actors that he likes. And still, I mean, even if he breaks even, he's still creating a a piece of art that people can take or leave. Like you kind of liked it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it works for me or not. If it, I would rather see him be successful with it so that he continue make, continue making movies. I just want him to be better than this one. Okay. So. If... Because there are a lot of people in this film that he's worked with previously. Right. He seems to be starting to build up a, a cast of actors that he... Cadre. Em- yeah, that he employs time and time again. Uh, you mentioned uh, Charlie, Charlie Hunnan. He also has Byrne Gorman. Yeah, I liked him in the movie. Uh, and I think there were like two or three others, minor characters that mm-hmm. he found a role for again. Uh, I know like the cinematographer, I can't remember the name of him, but he's, I, I know he's worked with that person before. We've mentioned the costume right. designer and lots of other people who worked on this film love working for this guy. In a lot of ways, he's like the Coen brothers who or we Scorsese. really like Scorsese, Quentin Tarantino. If you worked on this film and you saw how it turned out, does this make you want to work for the guy again? Oh yeah. Or do you go? No. Yeah. Yeah. No. I think that they had a good time making the movie. I think that they appreciated it for what it was. I mean, they read the script before they got there, so the the movie fails at the script level for me, the story level. For you, I think you had some other issues with some of the acting, and I did too. But that wasn't a an, a fault of the movie itself as it was presented. I mean, they read it and they're like, okay, yeah, it seems like a pretty cool thing. And like I said, they he communicated a vision, so. I think all it does is solidify him in terms of other actors and actors and actresses wanting to work with him. They just, I think that they would want to work with him in some other, on some other project maybe, or maybe, I mean, do you see Crimson Peaker? No, I I don't see a sequel. Originally Benedict Cumberbatch was going to play the Tom Hiddleston role and Emma Stone was going to play the Mia Wachowski role. Uh Uh, Stuff came up. They were unable to make it work. Scheduling stuff. Would this have been a stronger film? With those two? Uh, no. I don't think it would have made any difference. I like Mia Wachowski. I liked, I liked Edith. Like, I like, if you just met her in a room and talked to her, she'd probably have some pretty unique insights. Um, she's not, like I said, she's not unintelligent. I would like the movie better, maybe with a different acting choice on one of the other characters. So I thought, or I, again, it may, it falls back to screenwriting. If it were written differently, then it might have been better. I don't think changing the actors and actresses around would have made any difference to it. 
Okay, I, I think the film would have been a little better with Benedict Cumberbatch and Emma Stone, but I think Jessica Chastain was miscast. I like her. She's been good in a lot of films. Uh, Take Shelter. I liked her in Interstellar. I liked her in The Martian. Or I, she was all right in The Martian. All right, this is what she's I, great in Salome. I, I'm still I, trying to convince you to watch that. Film. I really, I cannot. I, I want to attribute this because I don't. It's not an original thought of mine. It, it, it either came from a film. It didn't come from Phil Ball. It came from another movie podcaster. And I, I really can't remember the name. I would give him credit if I could. But he said that Jessica Jessica Chastain stars in movies that you were probably going to go see anyway. <laughs> so she she's not really a draw. And I, I was thinking, yeah, that's perfect. That's, you know, I would have seen this without her in it. I would have seen it with anybody in it. If you said Guillermo del Toro is making a movie, it's called Crimson Peak, and it's a, you know, gothic horror, which is what they said. I'd have been like, oh, all right. I don't even like horror movies. I just, I trust Guillermo del Toro. Um, I thought that the movie would actually have been improved if it were Jessica Chastain's movie, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, we you said that. that. That's very uh, thought-provoking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, would you compare it to any other movie? Ooh, I, I know you've brought up the others. I, I don't know. I don't watch a whole lot of haunted house type films. And I know that's even a bit of a misnomer in this film. Right. But it's been presented as a haunted house film. And the house is a character in this film. All right. That brings up another question. I, I, I don't know. Do you see Woman in Black? No, I stayed away from that. Again, I'm not big on the ghost stuff. It's a more affecting movie. Now, you had two... The, this is the middle ground is romance, gothic romance with a ghost in it. There are two other choices you could have made gothic romance or ghost story. Like if they had emphasized either one of those two parts, would have it improved the movie for you? Or do you think that this was the perfect mixture of genres? Oh, I, I really went for the mixture of genres. I really did. So I, it's, I, it's, I, I thought it was fine. I enjoyed the whole thing. It's the cafe au lait of. I know you hated this scene and I loved it. And while I was watching it, I thought, oh, Lust, Lust cannot wait for this to end. I really liked the waltz <laughs> with the candle. Jeez. I, I thought it was well filmed. Oh, my God. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. No, I also liked the natural lighting that was going on uh, in it. Now it all comes clear. <laughs> now I that know. That whole thing worked now for I me. I know where the difference lies and I thought between us. Great characterization, great advancement in the plot. Oh, okay. Okay. Neither one of us recommends it, though. I don't that's know who thing. to recommend it to. Maybe I, you I, need to get more friends. <laughs> Maybe you need to get it, more dancing it, friends. It, it's a hard film to recommend to people. Like, here, just go watch this. Because it is such a niche film. But it's such a small... It's not even... It's not. You can't even say it's a Del Toro film. You really couldn't. I mean, there are, are some aspects of it where... Like, maybe they, they, they jam-pack some steampunk into it. Other than that, though, can you... Can you? I mean, the lushness of the set doesn't give it away as a Gil, or as a Del Toro film. Maybe. Uh, maybe. I, I felt like it did. All right. It's no Hellboy. I can tell you that. Fair enough. Are we ready to get spoilers? Oh yeah, we need to spoil it. All right. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. This is to the perfect example of a a staircase plot where someone is they they set you up you're out there you're on the top of the staircase 
and then every event you're just falling down the staircase and you're hurting your elbow and then you hurt your toe and then you hurt your knee. Well, not in your case, not your toe, but you hurt your knee, you hurt your foot and you wind up at the end and you're at the bottom of the staircase and the whole thing's over and you're like, what the crap was that, man? That sucks. You slipped to the top of the staircase and you fell all the way down because every event is predicated by the event preceding it and then it's it's just a continual demise or you're stumbling down I, I like parts of your metaphor but instead of falling down the staircase to me it was like watching a slinky climb its way down <laughs> and for the whole time i'm just clapping my hands going it's slinky it's <laughs> yeah. slinky i loved it you might have been amused by the slinky yeah it just that, it, that's it the world's worst toy the, the plot worked that's, for me that's worse than hoop with a the slinky is worse than hoop with a stick okay so we both agree the mystery was a bit thin. I had the movie figured out halfway through. Right, because you're not a, a mentally challenged four-year-old. Okay. I st- and, and while that happened, I still had some hope in my mind. Maybe he'll come up with something interesting because of an earlier scene when Mia Wachowski's father gets murdered. That whole setup in the gentleman's club or whatever, right. and he's shaving, and they've shown him shaving earlier. Right. And he's got this beautiful razor, and it falls off the sink, and you hear it bounce around, and great sound design. I thought he's getting his throat slit, right? Didn't that seem to be telegraphed? And when they don't go for the knife, which okay. is also a very feminine way to kill someone. Apparently, women more often will use knives in films to kill. Men are much more brutal. Okay. I really like that subversion subversion of expectations in that scene. We talked about this last week. There are they do subvert expectations at points, but it it doesn't it's it's still a contrivance that doesn't there's no real payoff for it. Especially did was there even with that? Did you was there any other person that you thought that that could be? I thought possibly it could be Tom Hiddleston at that point. Why? Because because of the brutality and the strength you would need. And then I just love later on you understand why Jessica Chastain passed up on that little dinky razor blade because she likes a big meaty meat cleaver, okay, which yeah. is just ridiculously sized. Okay. Is this, does this fall into the line that you were talking about that you didn't want to spoil? Oh, the line that I laughed at? Yeah. No, the line that I laughed at was when Tom Hilston said, don't treat the tea anyway. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, everyone knows not to drink Perfect the tea. example, he, staircase plot. He He's watched Mia push away the tea at least three times. Is she that stupid, though? Because she eats the porridge. <laughs> Come on. Is she really? I mean, there's great sound. There was great sound in that scene. That was the one highlight of the movie, or one of the highlights of the movie. Because I did, like you, I liked the set a lot. I really did enjoy that. Uh, but I was thrown out of it when they first got there. When he, she says... Oh my gosh, what a beautiful house. How many rooms are there? And he's like, uh, I don't know. Do you know. want to count them? That was such That's gothic BS. romance. There's no way that kid didn't know when he was a child growing up in that house that he didn't, and there was nothing else for him to do at all. He would know exactly how many rooms are in there. So I called BS immediately. And at the same time, dog. Dog comes running up. This random dog comes running out of nowhere. They have no idea what to do with that dog. It disappears for long stretches of time, but it's so present in the movie early on just for the tension of being there and having her throw the little thing down the hallway. And then and then he just goes off. He's like gone. And it's like nobody cares. Nobody thinks about it. It's not even a thing. There was no reason for the dog to, to be there, to come back, to stay there. It's the completely unmotivated dog. 
right. I, I disagree that the dog disappears for that many parts of the film. 45 minutes. I checked my watch. No. No. And minutes. also the dog helps her explore the house because he keeps running off and she's got to chase after the dog. That's the whole reason why she goes down in the dungeon cellar with the clay vault. Another vats. incredible setup with a poor payoff. That vat of uh, the menacing red vat that has the, the entity rise up out of it. They never come back to that thing. That could have been a huge thing. Well, that was a skeleton, right? Did it look like... Who knows? It's the same thing as anything else that she sees. Did it look like the skull had been caved in? (laughs) You know... But if they poison you to death, why'd they have to cave in your skull? That bothered me. Well, it could have been... How did they kill the mother? But the mother was found. The police came and saw that someone had stabbed... Well, she stabbed, hit her in the head with a, a cleaver. So what was What's that? What's the right mean? verb for being cleaved? Cle- cloven? Clo- you, don't, you don't say she got cleaved in the head. Bludgeon? Cloven? Bludgeon? Do you bludgeon? bludgeon? I don't know. Yeah, Shit. Right. I don't know. Just... What is the verb? What is the active verb for the for, to cleave? But is that what you do? With... That's the infinitive form? If you go after someone? To you have hit, cloven? You, 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 cleaved. You've cleaved was... someone to death with a cleaver. I, that just I doesn't sound right. My, I don't know. She was cleaved. <laughs> the movie cleaved me <laughs> with its with its poor presentation. All right, so that's a plot. rat hole. <laughs> okay, I, I, that I, happened. I, yeah, it did. Uh, so I, that stuff bothered me a little bit. I also like at the end we have this huge knife fight or knife first cleaver, and it ends with death by shovel. Again, it's the that, subversion of expectations. The last 15 minutes of the movie was great. I was thinking, as I was watching that, I wish the whole movie had been like this. I wish the whole movie had had this amount of, of energy and uh, humor and stylized presentation of character. And, I mean, I still thought it was ridiculous and stupid. Plus, there's this huge spinning wheel. Talk about subverting expectations of, of the of the clay digger mm-hmm. the huge wheel spinning behind him the whole time that amounts to nothing god i wanted her to push that. i wanted her to push chastain's care lucille into that wheel so many times and they, they just they didn't do it it's yeah, like they, i wanted it to, i wanted that to happen i wanted so much happened to this movie that didn't happen for now me. then you said you were upset that there wasn't more energy in this film I liked the slow pace and I liked the deliberateness. We're going to let the story slowly unfold in the past. You've accused me of not being able to appreciate slow films. Right. I think it's a little, it's not, it's a little fascinating that <laughs> it's, I can enjoy a slow film when you didn't because normally you like a deliberate pace much more than I do. This movie was deb- deliberately placed, but it, it, it countermands itself because it's, it's trying to use that pacing to set up, uh, the menacing ghosts and the activity with the ghosts and none of that pays off. None of the jump scares paid off for me. They were all telegraphed and they were set up with, I mean, the whole movie was telegraphed. The whole movie was, was spelled out for you step by step by step. Sort of my metaphor of the staircase. You're falling down the staircase. You know what's going to happen at the end of it. And if you, if they had done something new or exciting or interesting with the ending, if, if Del Toro had written it in some other way, it might have improved the film. I don't know. All but, right. Um, Let me ask you this then. All right. Go ahead. Um, it began the film when she's giving the, uh, her novel over to be read and the guy goes, oh, it's a horror story. And she right. says, no, it, it's a romance story with ghosts in it. It's a very meta moment. Yeah. Is Del Toro pulling the ultimate meta moment on us? If we think, why aren't there any subversions of our expectations? Why is he just being so ordinary? Why is he spelling out everything? Is that being meta? 
So is the that ultimate the biggest... irony is the fact that there's no, no. ironic switch. Yeah. <laughs> there's no irony. Do, yeah. There's if you're ironic. expecting, you know, there to be this reversal and there is no reversal, isn't that a reversal? <laughs> isn't wow. that the ultimate meta? Speaking of rat holes. Yeah. <laughs> have we not given Del Toro enough credit here? Yeah, perhaps we haven't, but it still has to be entertaining. <laughs> if, it's, if it doesn't entertain you, then what difference does it make? You find out at the end that she's the narrator of her own story. And you also see that at the beginning, which is another problem I had with it because the scene, the, the movie opens with her at the end and then you realize that she's either written this book or has something. That whole frame didn't really work for me. And again, it removed some of the tension that might have existed if you don't, if you know that it's going to end up like this with her saying, I see ghosts, I see dead people. <laughs> Come on. It's so tired and worn out. There was really nothing original about it, except for maybe the set design. But it's the fall of the House of Usher and, you know, Rebecca. Yeah, Madam Bovary or Wuthering Heights. There's, there's yeah. nothing. Ah, I don't know. It didn't seem interesting. It, it's, a, it's a... Um... It's a loving reflection of a genre that apparently Del Toro cares deeply about. All right. It, it's his love letter to that genre, I feel. All right. Fair enough. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Alderdale Hall, it's the All only right. reason to see it. Um, I know we would love to get some feedback Ooh, yeah, from people who've section. seen this film um, or any films that we've seen. You can email us at theleftpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us at theleftpodcast or you can message us on facebook.com slash theleftpodcast. Uh, we would love to read your comments on the show. In fact, I, I think we've had a couple people uh, sending in stuff on yeah, our yeah. recent show. So Listener feedback segment. So listener David S. sent us in an email and he said, uh, I love listening to you guys when uh, I really don't have anything better to do. <laughs> I don't, when I don't have to think about doing, I don't have to think about what I'm doing. Yours is the perfect show. And he wants to know if we're going to do anything special for Back to the Future Day, which is today, October 21st, 2015. And I said, I wrote him back and I said, ooh, well, you said the same thing about the podcast about this time last year. So there you go. Back to the future. <laughs> Back to the future time tower. Friend of the show, Tony C., was impressed with my meltdown in the post-show credits last week. And he wrote to us on Facebook saying that it was epic. But he also posted this week saying that the box office challenge doesn't look good for Mr. Two Frames. And he put up on our Facebook page uh, an article linking to the Advanced day box office record for IMAX screenings for Star Wars The Force Awakens. I don't think you should be allowed to count those funds. What, box office? Yeah, to, towards the box it, office. Won't it be on the opening weekend? No, that's on this weekend. It made that money on this weekend. It doesn't make that money on the But they don't get to see weekend. the show. You're going to try to get out on technicality. I think that's six million we got six point five. Well, you're going to cut it off here? You're going to cut it off in December. Oh, like yeah. they're, they they can the still sell up. the tickets. I know. Out. I'm hoping they sell out that whole weekend, <laughs> no, and you don't. Get no, any I of get that. those tickets because you got all the tickets that they sold for uh, any tickets that they may have uh, sold for the uh, the Danish girl, the Danish girl. Yeah, yeah the pre sales on any pre sales on Danish girl. You get all the pre sales. Well, apparently, Star Wars has already sold more pre sale tickets than the next film by eight times. <laughs> I think one of the Hunger Games, it sold like a, a little under a million dollars worth of pre-sale tickets. All right. This is already eight times that. There you go. Will 
the 6.5 million worth of pre-sale IMAX screenings beat the opening weekend for the Danish girl. Yes. Okay, there you go. I think there's a chance Star Where? Wars could win the box office this weekend. <laughs> Before the box office challenge. So that's our winner no, box office challenge. No, just all the other films oh. that came out. The ones that we oh, yeah, talked about right. on Laugh 89. You're right. I uh, could easily see it selling that, a total of 20 million tickets. $20 million. For a worth movie of that they won't see in two months. For two months. Yeah. All right. So there you go. Boom. Winner. So that's our winner boss, winter box office. Oh, that's our, also our listener feedback. I like it. And our winner box office challenge. If you want to follow up on that, you can go to our webpage, the laughpodcast.com, which you mentioned, and you can see a picture of uh, Mr. Two Frames dog there, Dalton. If you go to our Twitter feed, yeah, I don't think you mentioned Twitter. At you can follow us podcast. on Twitter at the live podcast. You, you'll see my dog Rue. So there you go. So we want you to download the show on all the formats that you can and subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a rating over there. You can also get us on Twitter or Stitcher, right? Well, yeah, Stitcher we're available Stitcher, pretty much any podcast yeah. app. If you have an Android phone or whatever, we're all over the place, man. Yep. So, uh, what are we doing next week on the show? Next week, we're thinking about doing the uh, last witch hunter, but I don't know if I can handle uh, any more Gothic, uh, witchy fantasy romance, half baked <laughs> kind of, uh, uh, not sure what it is kind of movies. I don't like these amalgamation movies, but we're going to try. We'll, we'll have something for you. We might do uh, Beast of No Nation, or uh, there are some other things out there that are bubbling. If you have an idea, you can f- reach us through our different uh, feedback areas, the podcast, the laugh podcast, or whatever, yeah. Facebook and all that. So, all right. Uh, so, did you ever see the ab- Abominable Dr. Fives? I did not. We showed it in our film class one year. It's a reward. It's a reward, yeah. yeah. It's made in 1971. It's gothic. Is this a Vincent Price film? Vincent Price movie. Yeah. He stars as Dr. Anton Fives. He says, love means never having to say you're ugly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for Mr. Mr. Two Frames over there. It's been a pleasure. I'm the L Train. Pogs and Bonum, everybody. There be dragon. are good i told my students words are good yesterday we were talking about reading some of the kids are like it's just so boring staring at the page i said well i guess i'm lucky when i read the words melt away right away and i just see the picture in my head it's like watching a movie right one of the kids goes it's not fair (laughs) (laughs) was this average or honors honors but it's like oh my god what huh and then I told him about my superpower, you know, that I know where I was when I've seen any film. Right. Because for whatever reason, my memory of the film is bigger than just the screen. It encompasses the room I'm in and the uh-huh. location. Uh-huh. And they're like, oh, that's so cool. I thought, no, it's not. Yeah, that's not really that great of a superpower to have.